Welcome to Asia Abridged, where we highlight the best moments from Asia Society events. I'm Eric Fish. In 2015, Iran signed a deal to halt its nuclear program and submit to international inspections in exchange for sanctions relief. The deal was signed by what's known as the P5 plus 1, referring to the five permanent United Nations Security Council countries, the United States, United Kingdom, China, France, and Russia, plus Germany. But throughout his presidential campaign, Donald Trump took a hardline stance on Iran and vowed to withdraw the United States from the agreement. Every 90 days, he's required to certify whether or not Iran is complying with the agreement. He's twice reluctantly affirmed compliance since taking office, but at the recent United Nations General Assembly, he suggested that this might not continue. The Iranian government masks a corrupt dictatorship behind the false guise of a democracy. The Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. Frankly, that deal is an embarrassment to the United States, and I don't think you've heard the last of it, believe me. The next deadline for certification is October 15th, and several media outlets have already reported that Trump doesn't plan to sign off this time. If he refuses to certify, Congress will then have 60 days to decide whether to reimpose sanctions on Iran that were suspended under the agreement. Iranian Foreign Minister Mohammad Javad Zarif was instrumental in negotiating the 2015 nuclear deal with then U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry. At Asia Society in New York recently, Zarif spoke with journalist Charlie Rose about the future of the deal and U.S.-Iran relations. Here, he starts by recounting a recent meeting he attended on behalf of Iran at the UN General Assembly with representatives of the P5 plus one nations. Representing the United States at the meeting was Trump's Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. Well, it was a civilized meeting. Uh, <laughs> I think after that speech, Secretary Tillerson set the bar to be very low, just not throwing shoes at each other was... <laughs> So that's, we, we certainly achieved that. We didn't throw shoes at each other. Uh, everybody in, in, in the group, and it wasn't a bilateral meeting, uh, because people need to be reminded that this was not a bilateral deal. The, this was a multilateral agreement, and the meeting took place uh, in the informal consultation room of the Security Council where we started this process four years ago, as, people, as was just mentioned with Secretary Kerry. And it was a good reminder to everybody that this deal is not a treaty, is not a bilateral agreement or a multilateral agreement which needs ratification by US Senate, but it is in fact a Security Council resolution. And we were sitting in the informal consultation room of the Security Council where these resolutions are worked out usually. This, was, this one was not worked out in that room. Uh, it was worked out during two years of tedious negotiations in, in Vienna, and prior to that, 10 years of basically posturing. And I'm sorry to see that we are going back to the posturing, uh, of pre-negotiation posturing. Uh, everybody in the room reminded uh, Secretary Tillerson that this was a good deal. Uh, a good deal is not a perfect deal because there is no perfect deal. No deal can be perfect, uh, because perfect for one side of the deal would be disaster for the other side. It is not a zero-sum deal. Uh, it, it can't be a zero-sum deal. Uh, it has to be a positive-sum deal. And we decided uh, to define the objective in the beginning of the process in a way that was amenable to a solution. Um, and by that, we decided not to resolve all of our differences. We decided to stick to it.
Uh, unfortunately, uh, U.S. position was uh, reiterated by Secretary Tillerson uh, about uh, what they perceived to be uh, problems. Did the Secretary Tillerson say that if, in fact, uh, certain things did not happen, if it was not uh, modified or renegotiated, the United States would leave the deal? No, he didn't. This administration leaves people guessing. All right. I, I think they like I that, think, actually. I think unpredictability may be an attribute in foreign policy, but unreliability certainly isn't. Zarif emphasized that the nuclear deal was made on the basis that Iran and the U.S. don't trust each other, which is why it included a very strict system for international verification. Furthermore, if the deal remains in place for another six years, Iran will ratify additional protocol for more intrusive inspections, and become a normal member of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, obliged not to pursue nuclear weapons. So characterize the relationship with the United States today. <laughs> Do I need to? Yes, please. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I think the United States is making a strategic mistake of sending a message to the world that is not reliable as a negotiating partner. That the United States will take, I mean, in any deal, in order to reach a deal, you give concessions and you take concessions from the other side. And no deal will be sustainable if you take the concessions and pocket them and then you ask for more after you conclude the deal. Nobody else will come and negotiate with the United States. The United States so, will become known as an unreliable partner, even for others. Now, I believe even Europeans are saying that so, if the United States were to break the deal, nobody else would trust the West. I think the United States has to prove itself that it is a reliable partner. I think we have a saying in Farsi, prove your brotherhood and then ask for inheritance. The <laughs> <laughs> United States needs to prove that it's a reliable negotiating partner. And there's no and, response and about we, 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 we spent every... spend two years, probably Secretary Kerry and I spend more time together than we spend with our wives negotiating this deal. So let's respect the deal we negotiated. I'm not in love with the deal. I believe You're not deal, in love with the deal? No, no, no. Because I believe the deal has a lot of flaws. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a deal. I mean, if the deal was 100% in my favor, the United States would be out of its mind to accept it. And the same is true for Iran. If you have a perfect deal, it has to be imposed by one side against the other. If, in fact, the United States withdraws from the deal, what will Iran do? Well, it depends you on... You have suggested that the United States will suffer credibility issues, but what will Iran we, do? We will make the appropriate decision based on the circumstances. Okay. There will be... Then move you on. see, I told you, Iran is not a monolith. I will not make a decision well, this, for Iran, nor will anybody else. We will have a debate in Iran yeah. about the consequences. We will have a variety of views. Even today, there are people in Iran who believe that the United States has been less than compliant with other aspects of the deal, and therefore, Iran should not stay committed to the deal. That's an argument that is being made vociferously in Iran by, in my view, a vocal minority. But that argument will gain even greater momentum and greater support where the United States uh, had the United States decided to leave the deal. Rose probed Zarif on accusations that Iran is up to no good in the region by supporting U.S. adversaries like Hezbollah and Syrian leader Bashar al-Assad, and perhaps even trying to establish a Shia Muslim crescent around Saudi Arabia. 
Zarif took issue with these claims and took several swipes at the U.S. alliance with Saudi Arabia, which is ruled by an absolute monarchy and has one of the world's worst records on women's rights. He alludes to the country's recent decision to finally allow women to drive and Trump's travel ban excluding travelers from Iran, but not Saudi Arabia. Why then do you think so many countries question what Iran's ambitions are in the region? Well, uh, you see, I cannot judge why others are doing things, but it has become fashionable in Washington to blame Iran for everything, and it's your ticket. People, I remember people... No, I, I, we referenced here other countries who were party to the nuclear deal raise questions about Iran's behavior. Well, I mean, we, we, we're talking about policy. You know, I mean, we're talking about human beings and countries, not animals, that we talk about behavior. We talk about policy. And I believe Iranian policy in the region is very clear. I think people have to bring themselves to the level of mutual respect. Just do not talk about the behavior of other countries. Talk about their policies. Talk about their practices. And see... Who has, who has done more to fight extremism in the region? Who has done more and more consistently to fight terrorism in the region? Have we been on the side of terrorists in Syria, in Afghanistan, in Iraq? I've asked you this before. So what do you say to the question posed by Henry Kissinger that Iran has to decide whether it wants to be a country or a movement? Exactly what I told Henry Kissinger. We will make that decision when the United States makes that decision to be either a country or a cause. Whenever you're prepared to make a decision that the United States is no longer a cause, then we will make a decision. So you haven't made the decision? And you haven't made the decision for, for the past 200 years. Don't expect us to make that decision well, in 40 years. I mean, the argument, the argument is often made in the United States that the United States is an idea more yeah. than it is a country. Good. And, and Good. So you can understand. You can understand. But Do, does, that, does that make the United States a destabilizing force? No. It doesn't. It's your policies or our policies that makes us either stabilizing or destabilizing. I think this dichotomy between being a cause or a state is an erroneous dichotomy. It's just trying to theorize a policy that has been doomed to failure for the past 40 years. The United States has failed to recognize the realities in the region. When President Trump goes before the United Nations General Assembly and talks about Iran as a dictatorship under the guise of democracy, he's forgetting the fact that in countries that are allies of the United States, the concept of ballot box doesn't exist. We're celebrating today as people, as women get a right to drive in some of your allies. Yes, we, we took note I mean, of that today in the paper. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, look at the realities of the situation. The United States wants to neglect all those realities. In terms of, in terms, not, wait, that is not in the interest of the United States. You were suggesting the United States wants to ignore those realities in terms of who it believes in and seems to want to have the friendliest of relations. That's your point. Well, you, the, that the United States I, has I friends you, in the region who you believe violate uh, the tenets of what it says it stands for. Well, do, do I need to say that? <laughs> Giving you an opportunity to say that. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think so, facts, but, but facts here, speak, here facts is what speak it, for themselves. This goes back to the point I was no, trying to make. Go back to 9-11. How many Iranians were involved in 9-11? Go back to every... 
and on, you see, I'm proud of Iranians in the United States. Iranians in the United States are the leaders of business, leaders in, in, in academia. And, the, and Iranians are barred from entering the United States. But the citizens of the countries who blew up the World Trade Center can come to the United States with, with every freedom. I'm not asking anybody to be excluded from the United States, but I certainly cannot accept any American president insulting my, my country. Was it a United States opinion that if, in fact, uh, we could make this nuclear deal, there might be other good relationships that would develop out of that? And they might take this opportunity where there was an agreement in which neither both sides won and both sides didn't get everything they wanted mm -hmm. and build on it. And what has happened is it has not been built on. Well, according to you. On, on the day that nuclear deal was reached, I tweeted. <laughs> Takes me a long time to tweet, though. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, there's good news. Twitter may be exchanging, maybe increasing it from 140 to 280. I, I said they haven't done it for me yet, although mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I tweeted that this is the foundation and not the ceiling. This was our expectation. Right. We made it very clear but, that if if people were prepared to engage on other issues, and if they showed their serious desire to really engage, then Iran would be a serious partner, as we proved to be in the nuclear case. I'm sorry to say that we haven't had a very positive experience over the last few years. Thanks for listening to Asia Abridged. If you want to hear more, you can visit our show page at asiasociety.org slash podcast, where you can also find the link to the full video of this event. You can also subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Asia Society. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.